Dan Radio Style. Hope everybody out there is having themselves a great day. It is within you. It's uh, Chapter 6, An Awakened Imagination and the Search. Neville Goddard really hits this one out of the park as well. Talking about imagination and how imagination tends to follow habitual thoughts. And we need to kind of be mindful of this if we are going to manifest our dreams and desires because so many of us do the techniques, live from the end, and then hop back into our old ways. We hop back into the old man. We hop back into the old imagination practices, the old beliefs, the old habits. And when we do that, we pretty much undo all the work we did in the technique. And so many of us are sitting there scratching our heads going, why Why is this not happening? Why am I not manifesting my desire? Why is it not coming to fruition? I'm doing the techniques. I'm doing everything properly. What is it that's causing me to not succeed? This is a powerful place for all of us to come to. One, everything that happens in the outer world starts internally. You may have a hard time seeing that connection sometimes, but with practice, with a little bit of meditation, with a little time and effort sometimes, you actually can find the places where we are creating these outcomes in our life. So the way to change it is to, one, yes, be aware of the imagination, but two, to do what he calls is essentially killing ourselves or death to our old self in order for us to reimagine our new self. He likens Christ to the imagination. So through Christ or through our imagination, we are able to supersede these things in our life. We're able to change our life and make outcomes happen that are more desirable for us because we finally, again, catch the pattern. We see the pattern. We pay attention to what's going on. So Goddard says, The world which is described from observation is a manifestation of the mental activity of the observer. When man discovers that his world is his own mental activity made visible, that no man can come unto him except he draws him, and that there is no one to change but himself, his own imaginative self, his first impulse is to reshape the world in the image of his ideal. But his ideal is not so easily incarnated. In the moment when he ceases to confirm to external discipline, he must impose upon himself a far more rigorous discipline, the self-discipline upon which the realization of his ideal depends. Imagination is not entirely untrammeled and free to move at will without any rules to constrain it. In fact, the contrary is true. Imagination travels according to habit. Imagination has choice, but it chooses according to habit, awake or asleep, Man's imagination is constrained to follow certain definite patterns. It is this benumbing influence of habit that man must change. If he does not, his dream will fade under the paralysis of custom. So again, if we're not able to change how we're doing this, how we're sabotaging ourselves essentially, how we keep reverting back to habitual behaviors, if we can't catch ourselves doing that, we're essentially doomed to a lack of success. One of the things that people tend to dislike about Law of Attraction is there is a bit of self-work. That is part of how manifestation goes. It isn't solely just about what you think, but it's actually all these underlying things as well. So what you think, of course, matters, but so many of us don't realize how many habitual thoughts we have throughout the day. We do our technique. That takes up like 5% of the time, if that. And then for the rest of the time, we fall into habitual patterns, and we wonder why we're not having success. 
Imagination, which is Christ in man, is not subject to the necessity to produce only that which is perfect and good. It exercises its absolute freedom from necessity by endowing the outer physical self with free will to choose to follow good or evil, order or disorder. But after the choice is made and accepted so that it forms the individual's habitual consciousness, then imagination manifests its infinite power and wisdom by molding the outer sensuous world of becoming in the image of the habitual inner speech and actions of the individual. Again, the habitual inner speech and actions of individuals. So many of us are on autopilot for so much of our lives trying to manifest something, but we don't pay any attention to all the mind chatter, to all the little thoughts we have throughout the day. We don't pay attention to it. We think we're doing everything fine. We claim we're doing everything fine, but we actually kind of plug our ears and close our eyes and go la, 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 la throughout the rest of the day where we manage to basically sabotage our stuff every step of the way. So to realize his ideal, man must first change the pattern which his imagination has followed. Habitual thought is indicative of character. The way to change the outer world is to make the inner speech and action match the outer speech and action of fulfilled desire. Our ideals are waiting to be incarnated, but unless we ourselves match our inner speech and action to the speech and action of fulfilled desire, they are incapable of birth. Let me say that again. Our ideals are waiting to be incarnated, but unless we ourselves match our inner speech and action to the speech and action of the fulfilled desire, they are incapable of birth. If I can't get my thoughts and interactions and inner thoughts in line with my desires, if I can't align my conscious and subconscious, if I can't get my desires and what my mental chatter is, is all about in line with each other, I will not succeed, period manifestation doesn't happen. You can do the technique all you want and then sabotage yourself all day long with mind chatter. You will not manifest what you desire. You will continue to manifest what you have been manifesting because habitually you fall back into these old ways. Inner speech and action are the channels of God's action. He cannot respond to our prayers unless these paths are offered. The outer behavior of man is mechanical. It is subject to the compulsion applied to it by the behavior of the inner self. And the old habits of the inner self hang on till replaced by new habits. It is a peculiar property of the second or inner man that he gives to the outer self, something similar to his own reality of being. Any change in the behavior of the inner self will result in corresponding outer changes. Again, we change inside ourselves. Things happen differently outside of ourselves. As I've recently been talking about in Goddard's thing, I love it, about how we take the present moment and slide into the future. Instead of the present falling into the back, we're sliding or pushing or slipping our present into the future. When we do that and when we can keep our consciousness in line, our inner dialogue in line with our desires, things start to unfold and manifest before us in our life. The mystic calls a change of consciousness death. By death, he means not the destruction of imagination in the state by which it was fused, but the dissolution of their union. Fusion is union rather than oneness. Thus, the conditions to which that union gave being vanish. 
I die daily, said Paul to the Corinthians. Blake said to his friend Krabby Robinson, There is nothing like death. Death is the best thing that can happen in life. But most people die so late and take such an unmerciful amount of time in dying. God knows their neighbors never see them rise from the dead. Again, death is talking about killing that old way, if you will, or death of an old version of ourselves so we can rebirth the new version of ourselves. When man has the sense of Christ as his imagination, he sees why Christ must die and rise again from the dead to save man, why he must detach his imagination from his present state and match it to a higher concept of himself, if he would rise above the present limitations and thereby save himself. Here's a great little story of a lady that had a fun little example of how she was trying to accomplish something and the way things played out and the way her habitual thought process kind of went into play. It's, it's pretty cool. So this lady gets a letter and it arrived from a friend and she was trying to uh, basically see if she could get this lady's uh, house for the, the winter. So the letter arrives Monday. As I picked it up, I had a sudden sense of depression. However, when I read it, she said I could have the house and told me where to get the keys. Instead of being cheerful, I grew still more depressed. So much so, I decided there must have been something between the lines which I was getting intuitively. I unfolded the letter and read the first page through, and as I turned to the second page, I noticed she had written a postscript on the back of the first sheet. It consisted of an extremely blunt and heavy-handed description of an unlovely trait in my character which I had struggled for years to overcome, and for the past two years I thought I had succeeded. Yet, here it was again, described with clinical exactitude. So again, in her mind, she kind of has this expectation that she's still got this problem, that she thought she'd worked on, that she thought she'd made it go away. And because of that, she gets a letter and sort of right off the bat gets a feel about it. The letter says everything positive. The world seems positive from every outward view that you can use. Seems great. But inside, inside she's still got this internal struggle. She still sees something wrong. She still feels that something is wrong. I was stunned and desolated. I thought to myself, what is the letter trying to tell me? In the first place, she invited me to use her house, as I have been seeing myself in some lovely home during the holidays. In the second place, nothing comes to me except what I draw. And thirdly, I have been hearing nothing but good news. So the obvious conclusion is that something in me corresponds to this letter, and no matter what it looks like, it is good news. I reread the letter, and as I did so, I asked, what is there here for me to see? And then I saw. It started out, after our conversation of last week, I feel I can tell you, and the rest of the page was studded with whirs and wuzzes as currants in the seed cake. A great feeling of elation swept over me. It was all in the past. The thing I had labored so long to correct was done. I suddenly realized that my friend was a witness to my resurrection. I whirled around the studio chanting, It is all in the past. It is done. Thank you. It is done. I gathered all of my gratitude up in a big ball of light and shot it straight to you. And if you saw a flash of lightning Monday evening shortly after six your time, that was it. Now, instead of writing a polite letter because it is the correct thing to do, I can write giving sincere thanks for her frankness and thanking her for the loan of her house. Thank you so much for your teachings, which has made my beloved imagination truly my savior. Now, one of the cool things about where she was at with this, and it doesn't get 
beat on too much, but it does illustrate, I think, the point that Goddard was trying to make in a, in a silent way. And that is, she had expectations. She had this thought, like one, that everything was good, so she was perplexed. She's like, everything's good. I've seen nothing but success. All of this worked out in my mind, so everything technically was perfect. But there was some habitual residue left over from this original problem where she was being selfish or whatever her thing was that she worked on. She spent a lot of time with. She essentially sacrificed that part of her being to change it, but was still a little sensitive to it. Still a little part of her being, right? Still not, I don't want to say it was ingrained in her so much that, you know, she's been working on it for two years, changing the habits, but that's something that's activated very much in her and something that she's very conscious of. And so it became a concern. She started reading this thing. She gets this weird foreboding feeling. And after looking into it more, basically her mind misread the sentence where it was placing everything in the past. Misread it. She kind of saw it as it was happening now. Like she was saying mean things about her now. And she's like, but I've been working on this. What's going on? And it's that old pattern that saw the old fear of hers. And granted, she got through it. So it's a great example of the transformation that we all must go through. One, what she did when she went through this internal dialogue, trying to figure out what the heck, why am I manifesting this? Everything, she says it all right, everything I manifest to myself is brought on by me. So it's here for a reason, basically. Why? What did I do? And it's a beautiful discovery process when we actually pay attention to what we're doing internally. If the external world doesn't seem to match what you desire, if the external world is not showing you what it is that you want to see, don't change the external world. Don't try to tweak things inside of yourself to directly affect the external world. Change the internal world, period, and the external world follows, and it follows perfectly. You don't need to try to make the external world happen a certain way. You don't need to think about how it should be. What you need to think about is what habitual thoughts am I holding inside myself? What am I keep seeing? Where am I misaligned on my conscious and my desires? When we can see that, when we can acknowledge that and make that difference, that change, make that growth in our own lives, all of a sudden, and I'm talking within, I don't want to say within a day, but it's easier to see it sometimes, really. Like, I make the change today, it's significant. It's basically immediately, I'll start to notice things in my life. But almost guaranteed, the following day is just like, I wake up to a whole new world. When we change what's going on inside ourselves, when we realize, more importantly, that what's going on outside of ourselves is governed by what's going on inside of ourselves. If what we're seeing outside of ourselves doesn't match what we've been telling ourselves, what we've been thinking we're saying, but the techniques we've been using, if it still doesn't seem to match that, it's not that law of attraction doesn't work. It's that there's still a little bit more of internal work that you need to look at doing. Look inward. Look to see where that habitual thought is. Look to see where you keep dipping into this old way of thinking. Look to see where you keep accepting that it's not happening and you're okay with that. Like that's what your expectation is. Well, of course it didn't work out. I mean, this is all crazy stuff, right? Law of attraction. It's crazy. Why would it work out? We have these habitual thoughts. It is for these thoughts that our outer world is not showing what we desire. Change inside and you change outside.
Dan Radio style.